You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, all right. Good morning. Oh, thank you for responding. That was really great of you. Good morning. Awesome. Well, um... So I'm not 100%, you're gonna hear that in my voice. I may take some breaks as you were walking in. That's why I was giving people pounds instead of handshakes. Normally I'm like, hey, and giving everybody hugs, but um, the Lord is faithful and uh, we're gonna open up his word together. So Revelation 2. Everybody here in this room has three very significant periods of time in common. Um, We all share these periods of time. Uh, Everybody in this room, if you're here, has a birth date, correct? You may not know what it is, but you have a birth date. There's a day that you were born. Um, and everybody in this room shares another significant date. Uh, it's the day that you're gonna die. And so you have an end date, an expiration date. We don't, we don't know when that is yet, uh, but everybody has that. I know that's why you came to church today. You wanted to hear and get reminded of the fact that we are mortals. Um, but we have a birth date, we have an end date, and then, There's a third period of time that we all have in common. Often this is symbolized by a dash. There's a period of time that we all have where we have breath in our lungs between our birth date and our end date, and it's the in-between. And so this morning we're gonna be looking at what it looks like to live faithfully and be bold in the in-between. I love what uh, a pastor and author, Louis Giglio, said. He said, what will you do with the dash? What will you do with the dash? Um, I was at an event recently, and there was a, a, a speaker there. He's a football player. His name is Tim Tebow. Does anybody know who Tim Tebow is? Oh, that's embarrassing. I didn't mean for that to go up. <clears throat> you could have left it on a little longer. Um, but, uh, but Tim, um, he, when he was speaking, uh, he talked about the greatest mission that we will ever be on. See, Tim uh, was talking about what he wants to be known for, and, and he was a, a Florida Gator. Any Florida Gators in the house? Okay, all right. Um, and so he was a Heisman Trophy winner. He played for the Broncos. Um, he led them to the playoffs. Uh, he sat on the sidelines of the Jets. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's where all good players go to die, um, is the Jets. And so, I'm just saying, good luck Aaron Rodgers. Um, and so, um, but, but what are you going to be known for? What is the mission? He said, I could be known for all these great athletic things. He's like, but I don't want to be known for that. He's like, I want my life to be known for being a follower of Jesus and someone that proclaims his name and his glory. I want to be known for the mission that God has me on, not the mission of winning a trophy or a, or a Super Bowl or something else. What defines the time in between your start and your end dates? What will you be known for? I know a birth to death analogy may sound extreme, maybe a little bit, um, but the dash appears in all seasons of life. We all have different seasons of life. So maybe for some of you, is when you first moved down to Florida. Maybe it was when you started your retirement. Maybe it was when you started being a snowboard. There's this, this dash, this in-between. Maybe for some, um, it's uh, when you started your most recent job. Maybe it's when you started middle school, for you middle schoolers. Maybe it's for when you started high school. 
What, is your, what, is your, what are you going to be known for in that period of time that you were in high school? Maybe it's for when you uh, just started college or you're in the middle of college. What are you going to be known for? So this is the context in which we enter into this passage in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Jesus speaks to the Apostle John. This is his beloved disciple. And he says to write to the church in Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is one of the two churches in all of the seven letters to the churches that actually received no reproof from Jesus. Five of the churches were, were um, disciplined, in a sense, for the fact that they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing as the church of God. Only two churches, Smyrna and the church in, Philippi, uh, the church in Philadelphia, um, didn't receive reproof. They, they weren't chastised for anything that they were doing. So we're entering into this knowing that, that, that this church actually was, was thriving and doing well. Um, and actually is one of the only churches that is still thriving to today. The church in that area. And so if we look at this picture that's going to pop up on the screen, we can see how um, the island of Patmos is where John would have been writing this letter from. And he was exiled there because he was spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he has come, died the death that we that we couldn't die ourselves, the death of perfection, rose again from the dead, and, and then he was going around spreading that the kingdom has come, the Messiah has come, and they exile him to this island. He's writing these letters to the churches whom he loved, whom he spent time with, and then he sends up with these messengers to these seven churches. And so first, last week, we started with uh, the first one, which is Ephesus. And so the church in Ephesus, and, and, and God says to the church in Ephesus, you have lost your first love. You're doing all these great things, all these great works, but it's not out of an overflow of love for me. You're just doing the things. You're, you're operating in great religion, but you're not loving me. Remember your first love. And then the church of Smyrna. And this is where we enter into today. And here's what we know. Um, it's located 35 miles north of Ephesus. It's a thriving city known for its beauty, wealth, and achievement. The name means myrrh. And, and that is one of those things, I think you would recognize that maybe in the Christmas story, um, where, where they, they bring a gift of myrrh to baby Jesus. And so this was a sweet-smelling aroma, sweet-smelling perfume, oil. Um, it was one of the original essential oils for those of you that dabble in doTERRA, right? It came before them. Um, and so what they would do is instead of embalming bodies back then, they would wrap them in cloth and then they would cover it in myrrh. It would, it would help the smell and the stench of a decaying body. Um, they also would use it in anointing people. And some of the first schools of science and medicine were founded in this region. They held Olympian games there. Uh, it was home to the Greek poet Homer. Homer has one of the, um, a literary piece of literature uh, that's historical, that's one of, uh, next to the Bible, one of the most famous, uh, the Iliad, that, that people have read and have seen, that have, have carried on for centuries and centuries. Um, the New Testament uh, has about five times more manuscripts. I think the Iliad comes in around 1,700 manuscripts um, from ancient literature, and the New Testament has over 5,000. And so um, we, we, we see that they, uh, they housed a lot of really intelligent people. And then there was the, the leader of the church of that day, Polycarp, who was a disciple of John and martyred by Caesar. So there was a heavy persecution happening in this region for the church, for its leaders, 
and, and they were on this, under this heavy hand. And so here's the foundation. Each letter starts with a picture of Jesus that we have seen in Revelation 1. And this is what it says. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So here's this foundation that we're getting right off the bat. Jesus, the man who lived on earth, this, this is not some legend or a fabricated story. This isn't Humpty Dumpty. This is, this is a person that actually existed that came to live on your behalf, to die on your behalf, to defeat death, hell, and the grave. Jesus, he was before your birth date. And he exists after your end date. He has given you everything in between. He is the first and the last. The one who died and came to life. And then we see in verse 11, the end of verse 11, where it says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This Jesus, this man that it was God became flesh who dwelt among us, secured what will happen to you after you die. That is who Jesus is. He has secured eternity for everyone who places their faith and their hope in him as their Lord and Savior. So the question is, what does Jesus want us today to know and understand from the church in Smyrna? So we're going to dive in. Sound good? All right, grab your Bibles, open them up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Jesus, this is your word to us. Thank you for um, speaking this to the Apostle John. Thank you for preserving this for thousands of years so that we today can sit in this place in freedom and read it and hear your words to us, your church, your bride. So I pray that we wouldn't, that this word would not fall on deaf ears, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Here's the first thing that we see written to the church in Smyrna. Verse 9 through 10. The children of God will experience tribulation and pain. Look at this with me. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. It's not because they're rich with finances. They're not wealthy. They don't have a lot of land um, and a lot of cattle. Um, he's saying it's within their poverty that they are rich because they are spiritually rich. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We see that the children of God will experience. This isn't a maybe. This isn't for some. The children of God will experience tribulation and pain. Although they're this wealthy town the church was physically poor. And there were repercussions to the persecution. It was that they had these privileges removed from them. So there were these privileges that the, the, the townspeople would receive that the people that were a part of the church of Jesus Christ would not receive. They were not allowed to partake in certain things because they had this tag on them of being a part of the church, the church of, of Christ. 
And so there are three major issues that they were battling here. One, it was emperor worship, pagan idolatry, and the hostility of the Jews. So the Jews would have been someone who had read and memorized and learned the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. They would have ascribed to the law that the law is what saves you from hell. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they were persecuting the church because the church was saying that it was Jesus who saves and Jesus alone who saves. There's no law that you could add into the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so what a lot of people were doing is they were taking the law and saying you have to do the law and believe in Jesus in order to be saved. But that's not what salvation is. Jesus plus nothing equals our salvation. Not Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus following these rules, Jesus plus doing these rituals. It was Jesus alone that saves by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. But the Jews were fighting against that. They were saying Jesus wasn't God. He wasn't the Messiah. He didn't raise from the dead. So they were persecuting the church. And the townspeople were persecuting church that didn't believe in Judaism and they also didn't believe in Jesus. They were saying, no, the emperor is king and lord. They were saying that you have to worship our idols, our gods. So they would have these made-up gods, um, god of the sun or god of, of the water or god of something. They would make them up. They would build some kind of an image that they thought that this god looked like. And they would say, now you have to worship them. So they would do these rituals and these things to make people bow down and worship these statues or these figures or these things. And so, so they're coming into these major issues and there was a continual call to the church of Jesus to compromise. We experience that today, in case you're coming in here and you don't understand that. A call to compromise. All they had to do was just sprinkle some incense at the base of a statue. That's it. Like, why is that a big deal? Just go sprinkle some incense, get the stuff that, the privileges that come along with that, and then go back home and repent and say, sorry God, like, I didn't really mean that. It was just a call to compromise. They, they could call Caesar Lord, and then later on be like, hey, just kidding God. I mean, why not, right? If, if it came along with privileges, if it came along with stuff, then just do it, and, and then say I'm sorry later. Um... This would have been done, this compromise would have been done to secure a better life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be uncomfortable. Anybody here love being uncomfortable? But just love it? Like, you love looking at your bank account and seeing zero? Like, it's just, oh, I love, that's, that's where I want to be. No, that's actually not the culture we, we, we live in. We actually like comfort. We like stuff. We like new clothing and new shoes and new cars and whatever it may be. You can insert anything into that. Because some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh, not me. But there's something. I promise there's something. We enjoy our comforts. And, and there's a call here to compromise. And a compromise that, that wouldn't kill anyone. I mean, they just tried to convince the church, you can, you can have both. You can have Jesus and privilege. Just like our culture today has tried to convince us of over and over and over again. You can insert anything into that from our culture today. Hey, just believe in these things, follow these things, do these things, and Jesus is good. 
you could have him on the side, or he could even be your thing, but, but also these things should be okay, and these things you should do. A continual call to compromise, compromise. For those who trust in Jesus, the call is to lay down your life. And that's hard. Lay down the privileges, lay down the comfort, lay down the security, lay down what the world values and pursue what God values. So what do people value? I mean, we value success, money, power, influence. I mean, influence is a big one in, our, in like the younger generations today. I mean, trying to be an influencer on social media is like a thing. How many likes you get, right? So you're taking pictures of everything and posting everything in hopes that some brand or some people will see it and then they'll send you free stuff so you could post that stuff so that they'll send you more free stuff. That's what an influencer does. Like you want to have influence in people's lives. And some of that is not super negative. Some of it are people trying to proclaim a good message Right? Some kind of moral thing. Hey, be a good mom or be a good dad or, or be a good person and help people. And by the way, send me the free stuff so I can put that on my next post. Money, success, influence. And our human nature fights. So everyone values what we value. Let me say that again. Um, humans, people, fight so that everybody else in the world values what they value. So what we do is we come up with slogans, and then we print those slogans on a t-shirt, and we ask everybody to wear the t-shirt. And just by not wearing the t-shirt, you're against us. If you don't wear my t-shirt and put this thing in the ground in front of your house or say this thing over and over again or post this thing, then clearly you're against what we're doing. You're against our agenda. You're against humans, clearly, because you're not posting and wearing the shirt. If people don't value what you value, then you're against them. You're anti them. You know what? You might as well just go print the other opposite shirt of what we're starting to say. That's the world we live in. The children of God will experience tribulation and pain. Jesus is encouraging this church because they are holding true to his message of faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. They're holding true to this message. They're encouraging them. But he's also warning the church. He's saying there's more to come. This persecution, this suffering, it may be bad, but it's gonna get worse. He's talking about 10 days here. He's saying, um, for, some, for some of you, you may be thrown and in, in, in have tribulation, experience tribulation for 10 days. Some commentators would say this is not actually just a specific period of time, that it actually is just meaning a, a period of time, totality. And for some, it, 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 they say that it means this specific time. It's a warning to the church. It represents the season. And for some of them, it even represents death that they will die because of what they believe about Jesus and salvation coming through him alone, nothing else. But here's what we know and here's what we see. Not only will the children of God experience tribulation and pain, but God-glorifying suffering will produce blessing. God-glorifying suffering 
will produce blessing. Look at verse 10 and 11. Saying, don't fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. God glorifying suffering will produce blessing. See, although they are physically poor, there is a spiritual, eternal wealth that they possess. And I, I love the word tested in here. The word tested in here in the original Greek means to make proof of. It proves the value of something. That's what that word tested means. It's talking about this refining process. It removes the impurity. This testing, uh, the, to make proof of, removes the impurity, and it brings to surface the purity. I'll say that again. The refining process removes impurity and brings to the surface purity. This is why James and Paul can say, consider it pure joy when you face trials because testing produces hope and purity. It's the process that we see in uh, when we're purifying and refining gold. I want to show you a picture of what gold looks like in its original form. This is what gold looks like. Girls, do you want to wear this on your fingers and necklace? This is what gold would look like in, in a mine. If you're, if you're there and you're, you're chipping away at something, hey, guess what? If you ever find something like this, Selah, like, please keep it. Don't throw it away. Um, and what they do is they take this and they smelled it. They, they, they put it in this, this fire and they begin to heat it up and it begins to boil and it begins to melt. And so the next picture is going to show part of this proxis. Next picture. There you go. And so what it begins to do is it begins to separate the impurities with the purities. And so what the, the refiner will do is they'll come in and they'll begin to scrape off and remove these impurities. And this process happens over and over and over again. They'll take this original substance and they'll put it in the fire and they'll pull it out and they'll scrape off the impurities, and they'll put it back in the fire, and more impurities will come up, and then they'll scrape it off, and, and the next picture, it's going to come up, and they're going to continually do this over and over and over again to purify the gold. Do you know when they stop? A refiner, guess when they stop? They stop when they can begin to see their reflection in the gold. This is what testing of our faith and suffering does for the believer. It refines us. And God allows us to go through periods of suffering and testing so that he can draw out the impurities, scrape them off, and refine us so that he can see his reflection in us. The beauty of the gospel is that he's lived this for us. He has made us whole. He has made us perfect. So when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. That's the process of justification. Justification is the moment where God declares us not guilty, and he declares us not guilty based off of what Jesus has done alone. Not your good works, not what you have suffered. 
He declares us not guilty based off of Jesus' works, what Jesus has suffered on our behalf. Then there's this process of sanctification. And this process of sanctification is us remembering daily that we have already been justified. And throughout life, we go through seasons and trials and hurts and pains and suffering and persecution. And when that happens, we are being put in the fire and we are being purified. God is drawing out these impurities so that we can become more like him. We can reflect his face and his glory to the world around us. Amen? So, children of God will experience tribulation and pain. God glorifying suffering will produce blessing. And here's the last thing. We can be faithful because he is faithful. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer The devil is going to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, refined, purified. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The faithfulness unto death is only because he is already faithful. The faithfulness unto death is because he has placed the Holy Spirit inside of you. He is with you. That he is purifying you. That he is holding you fast. He has got you as his child in the palm of his hand. He said, you are my child. I am not letting you go. Guess what? In case you didn't know, you will fail. Do, you, do I need to say that to you again? I will fail. God will never fail. He is faithful. This is why we are given and sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, all throughout Scripture, I think often we we look at this as a book of rules. It's a bunch of stories of humans that have failed and of God's faithfulness. Of humans that have done something wrong, that have sinned, and God restoring them and redeeming them and making them whole and purifying them so that they can reflect his glory and his name. So we see this. We, we see this pattern, the faithfulness of God versus the unfaithfulness of man. Adam and Eve, what do they do? They reject God and he clothes them. Noah, Abraham, Moses, they all mess up in big ways. God redeems them. Jonah, Samson, David, They sin against God, and he restores them. God is faithful. God is faithful for you. Look at your story. I want you to self-reflect. How many times have you screwed up? Over 10, anyone? 20, 1,000, 2, 3, 4? Anybody in the millions? And he is faithful. He's given you the Holy Spirit to convict you, to draw you back into relationship with him. His faithfulness does not go away in your unfaithfulness. He holds you. He keeps you. If you're coming in here this morning beaten down because you've had a week of miserable failures, you've just joined a long line of brothers and sisters who have done the same. You will be unfaithful, but he is faithful. Children of God will experience tribulation and pain. God glorifying suffering will produce blessing. 
We can be faithful because he is faithful. And here's our response. Be bold. Be bold. I mean, this is what we're seeing. I mean, that's what he's encouraging the church in Smyrna to do. He's just saying, be bold. Keep doing what you're doing. Go and share the good news. So you, you have a start date. You have an end date. And there's this in between. Be bold with it. You only have a short time. The Bible calls it but a vapor. It's there in the morning and then disappears by mid-afternoon. For the true children of God, suffering and persecution will happen. But this is what he says, do not fear. Be faithful. And this is what it reminded me of as I was processing this week. Um, I was praying over my own heart, my own life, and how often I do mess up and how faithful God has been over the course of my life. And here's where boldness to me came to. Either you are in the game or you're in the stands. I know it's a sports analogy. I know it doesn't connect with everybody. But I think in some way, shape, or form, all of us have seen some sort of a game or been a part of some sort of an athletic sports game, whether it's with your kids or um, if you've played them. You're either in the stands or you're in the game. And the people in the stands don't get the Super Bowl ring. I mean, you could dress the part. You could have the jerseys. Um, you can know every name of the people on the team. You can know their favorite ice cream. You can know their dogs and their cats' names. Um, you can know everything about the team. You could even coach them from your sofa at the TV. But in the end, if they win the Super Bowl, you do not receive a Super Bowl ring. In the end, what do we see in verse 10? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That is so much far greater than any Super Bowl ring that this world can ever make. And they keep trying to get more grand and more grand and more grand, but, but the crown of life, eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, eternity with the creator of all things, like that's the crown of life that we get to experience. That's what we get to look forward to. You're either in the game or you're just watching and observing. And those watching and observing are not part of the family. We can play the part. We could come and sit in these seats. We could, we could act and even check the box, like when you're filling out a form and says, you know, faith or whatever, and you say, Christian, oh yeah, that's mine. But if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do not believe in him as the way, the truth, and the life, then you are just sitting in the stands. And so the call is to be bold and get in the game. And if you're in the game, play hard. Play hard. In high school, I played football. I know, don't, don't you, don't judge me on that, all right? I was a football player. Seriously, that's funny. My mom's laughing at me. Jeez. Um, I actually got to become the starting outside linebacker. I know you could chuckle at that as well. Um, but one of the first plays that I was uh, involved in, a guy came doing, uh, coming around the outside, and I went to go tackle him, and I got all the way up to him, and then I like shied away. I kind of like pulled back, and, and he hit me and 
plowed over me but fell down. And so I got the tackle. Um, and the coach immediately called me off the field. And he said, don't you ever do that again. I'm like, what? He got down. He's like, don't shy away. You're going to hurt yourself. If you shy away from the hit like that, you're going to hurt yourself. He's like, if you're going to tackle somebody, you go tackle them. And, and here's why I say this. Because often we could be in the game, but we could just be standing around picking daisies. If you're in the game, play hard. You only get a small amount of time between that birth date and that end date to do something significant. And it's not going to be how many Instagram followers you have. And it's not going to be um, how much wealth you've accumulated. And it's not going to be what your portfolio looks like. What it's going to be is how did you make the name of God and the name of Jesus great? At the end, what will last into all of eternity is what you did with that dash for the glory of God. So be bold with it. Be a people like the church in Smyrna that said, I don't care what kind of persecution and suffering is going to come. Oh, my manager's going to be upset with me because I shared the gospel with somebody. Oh, somebody's hurting at Starbucks, and so I'm going to sit and pray with them, and everybody's going to be looking at us weird. Be bold with whatever God has placed before you for his name and for his glory. I want to read this account of Polycarp. So this was the guy that I told you earlier that was a leader in the church in Smyrna. Um, he was a disciple of the apostle John. He served the church and led the church in Smyrna for years. This is an account of him. I want to read this to you. And then we're going to end. They were going to kill him. They were going to persecute him. They were going to um, execute him because he was leading the church, telling everybody that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Because he would not sprinkle incense or worship their false gods. They sought to kill him. So then they went to seek him out, and they arrived at his house. And the soldiers who came to get him were surprised to see how old he was. He was 86 years old when they came after him. Having mercy on him because he was an elder, someone older, they said, hey, listen, just, just say Lord Caesar. That's all you got to say. Just say the words Lord Caesar and be done with it. He declined. But he asked if he could just pray for a few minutes before they left the house. And so for two hours, he prayed. And some of those soldiers came to put their trust in Jesus hearing him pray. Then he was brought before the proconsul. And all they said was, listen, just curse Christ and be done. This was his response. 86 years I have served him, Jesus. And he never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king? Then they threatened him. Released, release, we're gonna release on you some wild beasts for them to tear you apart limb by limb. You know what he said? I'm going to paraphrase. Bring it on. And they said, all right, if that doesn't scare you, we're going to burn you at the stake. We set this big fire and we're going to burn you. You know what he responded? Bring it on. As they set up the fire, he started to speak out and share the good news of Jesus again. And more people received Jesus as their Savior. Christians, Children of God, we are called to be bold. Going back to what the pastor and author Louis Giglio said, what, 
are you going to do with your dash? There is grace for all of you sitting here today and that look at your life and say, man, I haven't done a whole lot. There's grace. God has brought you to this point right now to hear this word. There's a select group of people in this world that are sitting here looking at this verse, hearing these words to be bold. We can change and transform through the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and be bold from this moment on. This could be the start of your new season, the new dash. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who are bold knowing that we will receive the crown of life, that we will not taste the second death. Can I pray for us? Jesus, I pray that we would be bold. God, we know that things aren't gonna get any easier. We know that our world is shifting and changing. And as our world shifts and changes, it's gonna be harder and harder to have faith in you, to trust you alone. And so God, I pray that we would be bold, that we would stand firm on your good news, on your word, that we would live lives of legacy for your name, for your glory. Give us grace when we fail. Mercy when we feel like we can't go on. Raise us up. Give us confidence in you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite up Tim, Eric, uh, one of our elders, um, talking about a faithful life of a man who loves Jesus and has served Jesus well. Tim would like to share a few words with us, and then we're going to pray one more time.